hang out, we should catch up a little bit. And so we did that. We went out and we talked for about two hours. First hour, we just caught up. And then the second hour, we started to talk about our religion. Uh, Robbie grew up in a great Christian family in my small little community of Anago, Wisconsin. Um, and after talking about our religion for about 15, 20 minutes, I could tell Robbie was getting a little bit uncomfortable. And so I just had to ask him, and so I did. I said, well, well Robbie, how would you classify yourself? Would you give yourself the label as Christian? And, and he thought about it for a while. I could tell he was trying to find the right words to say. He was a little uncomfortable knowing my profession. But he said, you know, Paul, I, I wouldn't classify myself as a Christian anymore. I'm not really sure if there's a God, but if there is... He won't condemn me for the life I've lived. I introduce you to my friend Robbie because the Robbie mentality is all over this world. The Robbie mentality is that you get out what you put in. If you put good in, you'll get good back. If you put bad in, you'll get bad back. Hold that thought as I introduce you to my second friend, Oscar. Oscar, I met Oscar when I was working at a church my first year of seminary in, in Milwaukee. Um, and I, I, I worked at this uh, helping out with English as a second language class. It's very similar to what we do here. Afterwards, I led a little Bible study. I don't know what the Bible study was about this particular day, but everybody else left, and Oscar stayed. And I was cleaning up all my materials, and Oscar said, hey, Paul, can, can we have a seat here? I have something to talk to you about. And so we did that, sat on one of those pews, and Oscar said, Paul, I just don't get it. I don't understand why my mom has cancer. He said, my, my mom doesn't have long to live. She's, she's going to die. And, and my mom's the most loving person in the world. I've never heard a bad word from my mother's mouth. My, my mom is just so nice. Why would God do this? God must be cruel. I share with you the Oscar mentality, because the Oscar mentality points at the flaw in the Robbie mentality. Because the Robbie mentality falls short when somebody who seemingly has put so much good into the world now endures suffering, well then, now the only place left for that person is to go where Oscar went and to say, God must be cruel. Solomon wrote, there's nothing new under the sun. And we have words from Job chapter 19 that are thousand-year-old words. And yet there's nothing new under the sun. Because in these words, you clearly see the, the Robbie mentality. And you clearly see the Oscar mentality. And you clearly see that both of those mentalities lead Job to despair. We're going to continue to, to look at this question, the, the endless why. What's the reason for suffering? And if you ask, if you frame the question, what is the reason for suffering with both of those mentalities, you can't come anywhere good. But with these verses, we see that, that God leaves us in a good place. Because he says, don't search for the reason, but, but look at the solution. We'll begin with just the first six verses. We're going to focus on two sections in, in this uh, chapter, the first six verses, and then those famous words in verses 25 to 27. But, but I need to introduce a few things in verses 1 through 6. You can follow along with me on 
page 8 of your bulletin. Here Job says, Then Job replied, How long will you torment me and crush me with words? Ten times now you have reproached me. Shamelessly you attack me. If it is true that I have gone astray, my error remains my concern alone. If indeed you would exalt yourselves above me and use my humiliation against me, then know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. Just a little bit of background to these verses. You need to know what happened in the 18 chapters in between last week's sermon from Job chapter 1 and this week's sermon in Job chapter 19. So for 18 chapters, Job has been suffering. For 18 chapters, he's now had time to dwell on the fact that his 10 children are gone, that his barns are gone, that his workers are gone, his reputation is gone. At this point, Job is a veteran sufferer, and he's asked the question, why, God, have you put all this trouble in my life? And in those 18 chapters as well, three friends, maybe remember these guys, uh, Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar, Three men show up to Job's house, friends of his, and for seven days they just lay in the dust. They sit there the customary time and mourn and grieve with Job, and they don't say a word. But for those seven days, they they thought about and constructed whatever they would say to comfort Job. And then for 18 chapters, the 18 chapters prior to this chapter, this was their comfort. They said... Job, you must have put bad in. You must have put bad into this life to get such bad back. What's the secret sin, Job, they said. Maybe you don't love your wife. Maybe, Job, maybe you've committed some lies or or stolen or cheated to get all the good things that you have, and now God's taking it away. So, Job, what is it? What's the bad that you put in? Not the greatest comfort. Is it? And I can only think of, of two ways that Job could have gone with, with this advice from them. Job could have opened up the book of his life and paged back in the history and looked, take a, took a magnifying glass out and looked at all the notes that he had made for himself and found all of the missteps that he'd made. He could have read the footnotes and found this sin and, and that sin and the other time that he did, in fact, put bad into the world. And that would have left Job in one place, to realize that every ounce of suffering he got, he deserved. Do you see where we're trying to find the reason for suffering in this way? Only lead you to despair. It it could only lead you to contemplate the sins that you've committed and, and to weigh on your weak conscience and then... And then what comfort is there? So, so we can't look for the reason for suffering by, by trying to pinpoint a specific sin that we've committed because it can't lead anywhere good. Well, Job responded differently to the criticism of his friends. You can see it in these verses. In verse 4 he says, Well, if it is true that I have gone astray, but, but it certainly isn't true then it's just my concern alone. Job looked back at the pages of his life and he couldn't find anything wrong. He couldn't find any reason for the suffering. And so since Job couldn't see his sin, 
He said, well, there's only one person left to blame. The Oscar mentality came through. And he said, well, in verse 6, God has wronged me. Job thought, well, well since, since I certainly don't deserve this suffering, since I certainly did nothing to bring this on, it must be God's fault. And for the next 15, 15 verses in our text, you can see that, that Job has one agenda and one agenda only, to blame God. To say, God, you've, you've thrown a net around me. You, you've caught me like a, a large load of fish I can't get out. God, you're coming after me like, like an overpowered army, and I'm just one feeble old man standing there defenseless. What am I going to do? God, you've turned my family against me. They can't even stand to hear a word out of my mouth. Job said, God, you must not be as righteous as you say you are. And do you see then where, where the Oscar mentality can only again lead to despair? Because with the Oscar mentality, the devil begins to make an attack on your faith. The devil begins to craft this picture of God who, who's a cruel God, an unloving God, who would send suffering into your life for seemingly no reason. And then that could only lead to, to the place where Job got, where if we jump all the way ahead to verse 21, Job says, have pity on me, my friends, have pity. Job turns to the, the three friends, the only men close to him, who were giving him any support whatsoever, even if it wasn't the best, and who had been attacking him like these piercing arrows for the past 18 chapters, and he turns to them for comfort. It's, it's his last-ditch effort. He says, my friends, just please have pity on me. Everything else has been taken away. I need you at this point. I really do think Job was, was at, his, at his breaking point. And so I was asking myself a question why this past week. Why the, why the great confession of verses 25 to 27? Why, why now, at this point in Job's suffering, do we get these most famous words from the book of Job? Why now do we have these words that, that Handel's Messiah picks up on, or that the, so the song we just sang for the hymn of the day picks up on, that countless hymns pick up on, that, that thousands and hundreds and millions of Christians have picked up on to hold on to as, as their comfort. Why these verses right here? And I could only come up with one answer. That the object of Job's faith was so very strong that when the delirious, feverish state of the suffering that Job was in broke, this was the first thing that bubbled up. That when the suffering got to its very worst and cut Job deeply to the heart, the only thing left in his heart was the object of his faith, his Redeemer. And so Job cries out and looks his three friends in the eyes and says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart 
yearns within me. It was the last thing that Job could say. And he burst forth and he said it. The Holy Spirit burst through and said these words, and now they are recorded in a scroll for thousands of years. I read a lot about these three verses, and there has been a lot written. Some scholars read these verses, and they interpret it, and they say, well, well, who did Job really mean by the Redeemer? Is he talking about Jesus there? Is he just talking about God the Father? Did, did Job really know? And then there are other scholars on the other side that say, oh, definitely, you can't not see Jesus in this text. And then there are some kind of in the middle that say, well, this is exactly what Job was getting at. And I tried to sort it all out and to figure it all out, and I, I, I came down to one conclusion that it doesn't matter what was in Job's head. It matters why the Holy Spirit recorded these words in the Bible. It doesn't matter what Job thought about these words, but it matters what the Holy Spirit was speaking to and through Job and to, to you and to, to me. And so I know exactly what happened to Job. That even though the leprosy had cracked his skin and that the boils were bursting and the tips of his fingers were falling off, that 20 chapters later in the book of Job, the Redeemer shows up. The Father God who created the entire world shows up in Job's life and restores him. That at the end of the book of Job, Job is standing there with his skin healed, speaking to the Lord, and he has given ten more children, and he has given double of everything. The Lord redeemed and restored Job. And so I bet when that happened, Job looked back at these verses and he thought, wow, God came through for me. Wow, these words that I spoke in this, in this suffering, delirious state, this must be what God was talking about, that he redeemed me right here, right now. But, but you know what? It goes so much deeper than that. Because you and I both know what God is going to do to Job again and what God is going to do to this entire full church again in the future that your Redeemer is going to come back. And even though you might be in the grave, and the skin that has endured affliction and suffering in this world has long melted away, or the bones that have been broken and felt pain in this world have long disintegrated, and, and the brain that might be filled with dementia at the last stages of life is long got, gone, well, God is going to knit you back together a second time. And God is going to restore your skin to a glorified state. And God is going to raise you up out of that grave to see your Redeemer coming down on the clouds to stand on the dust of the earth. And you and I are going to stand there smiling, looking at our suffered Savior who has holes in his hands and a scar on his side where he suffered more than you ever will have to in this world so that your sins will be forgiven and you are taken to heaven. And you and I are going to stand there and look at your Redeemer with our own eyes and in our skin that will never disintegrate ever again, and we are going to want to sing the words of Hanos Messiah. And we are going to want to sing the words of the hymn, I Know That My Redeemer Lives. And you and I are going to want to quote 
Job chapter 19, verse 25, with Job himself standing in the crowd, crying out, There is my Redeemer, I know that He lives. There is my Redeemer, I see Him with my own eyes. There is my Redeemer who died for me, rose for me, lived for me. And Job's going to be standing there in that crowd too, with his voice shouting at the top of his lungs, knowing that these verses from Job chapter 19 meant so much more than just his physical restoration, but his eternal restoration, and yours as well. Do you see that? That if we had the Robbie mentality, or the Oscar mentality, where we searched through our lives to just find the, the reason for suffering, to answer the endless why, well, then that question would fall to the ground in this life. And in this life, you'd spend your whole life searching for that answer, and, and you, 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 you probably won't find it. Because the Bible does say a lot about why we suffer. Maybe it's a test of your faith. Maybe it's going to do some good in, in the body of Christianity in general. Maybe the suffering's in your life just, just because there's sin in the world. And because of Adam and Eve's sin, it's the consequence we pay. But you're never going to be able to put your finger on the reason for suffering, and you don't need to. Because you have something so very strong, so very, very much at your core, it is not the reason for suffering, but the solution to suffering. Found in your living Redeemer. Amen. Please stand.